Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Welcome. I'm Karen Peter, and this is Common Grounds, where we've been having conversations about the liturgical or Christian calendar. And as part of our ordinary time observance, we're taking the opportunity to interview different people about how Community of Christ worships in different parts of the world. So today I'm here with Richard Betts. And Richard, in his service to Community of Christ, has been the World Service Corps Director. He has served in the Asia field, and he has even served in the faraway land of Oklahoma, Texas, and the rest of the South Central um, USA, which is actually far away for Richard, considering where he grew up. So Richard, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, including where you grew up? Yeah, sure, Karen. I um, grew up in, in in England, just outside of Nottingham, maybe 20 minutes outside of Nottingham in a little uh, town. Uh, lived there for 27 years, went through school, college, worked in a you know, career, and then uh, it was disrupted in 2005 when I uh, moved over to the United States. Had to start my full-time employment with the, the church. While that had been something I had in mind uh, in the distant future, it came much quicker than I'd anticipated. But I took that opportunity, and I've been here now 12 years. Oh, gosh, it doesn't seem that long, Richard. The first few years seemed to be appropriate, and then the last few years have just flown by. They have. And what are some of the things that have happened to you since you've been in the U.S. because you came as a single person? I came as a single person with two suitcases of clothes, and now I have a house, a mortgage, a car, a wife, and two children. Yes, you do. Uh, the American dream, my wife tells me it is. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Richard, if you could just give us a little bit of an overview of the different places you've served the church um, in the world. Where are some of them that you've been? So a, a brief overview would be, you know, um, to say served, it's been I've visited, you know, in, in many ways. Uh, I've, I've had a a broad uh, experience of visiting places rather than one specific where I've spent considerable amount of time. Uh, with World Service Corps, I was able to go to visit all the continents of where we, the, the community of Christ is present, so South America, Europe, uh, North America, Africa, Asia, and Australia. And uh, I was fortunate enough to each of those places have an opportunity to preach and to teach. Uh, but at the same time, I was really there as uh, an observer as an observer of the volunteers and an observer of uh, what was happening. Um, I've been to uh, a number of places, though, specifically in Asia, having served there for uh, nearly five years. Um, so of all the places I've been, Asia might be the one that I've uh, kind of had the most experience in. And after that, your assignment changed, and now you are assigned here. Yes, that's right. Although I've lived here the whole time, mm -hmm. uh, that, that, was, that was, you know, in, in itself, worship in the USA – uh, was was a an eye opener. I think in some ways, when you go to India, you expect it to be different. When you go to somewhere where they're using the same hymnal, speak the same language, uh, you're not quite prepared for the differences. And there are differences not just around the world, but in the U.S. So we're going to talk a little bit about what those are, because yeah. some people listening today um, 
are part of a denomination or a worship experience where no matter where they go, it's going to look or sound or be organized in the same way. And that is not the case in community of Christ. And you and I had the opportunity to serve together for a brief period of time in the South Central U.S. And I remember of traveling with you to Oklahoma and you and I and uh, Art Smith were each preaching somewhere different that weekend. And we all came back together and it happened to be Memorial Day weekend. And I remember that you were quite surprised that when you went to the congregation that Sunday morning, it was decked out in red, white, and blue (laughs) and American flags and that surprised you. Do you want to say anything about that? Since uh, I didn't warn you, I was going to mention it. Well, probably not, actually. <laughs> <laughs> to be uh, to be safe, but that is that, that's a huge culture shock. Um, culture shock, not just the worship part of it. Is, is seeing flag everywhere, anyway. But then to see it in church in such a predominant way, uh, I've been caught out other times when I, I've been speaking and they've had something in the worship service called the presenting of the colors. And I had no idea what that was. Standing up in front of everybody as the scouts marched in with flag. And it took me by complete surprise. You know, people didn't know to tell me. That that's what was happening. That was what happened. They, 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 they don't know what I don't know. And yeah, you had to tell me that that's going to happen. Um, there, there are things you have to just put to one side and say that's part of the culture and, and it very much Deal with is. it differently. Yeah. It is. Okay. So that's part of what happens um, in the U.S. That, that might be surprising to some people. But let's talk about some of the other places where you've served. Where would you like to start as we look at all of your travels? Uh, well, let's start back at home, back, okay. back in the, the U.K., because there really is um, significant differences, I think, in an approach uh, that, that's, that I know most about, you know, kind of through my life. Um, but I would also, you know, put a little caveat at the beginning here and say, you know, I've lived there for 12 years. And if anybody's listening from the UK and says, that's not how we do it. Uh, and they wouldn't be afraid to say that, uh, this is how I remember it being. And I've been back several times since, but also there's no one way of doing worship. And that would be the same in the U S. Uh, but I think there's so many varieties though of, uh, worship services in the, in the UK, that, uh, in such a small, uh, you know, kind of pocket of, of the church, you You'd assume that there wouldn't be that many varieties, but there are that many different types of congregations from house churches through to, you know, larger traditional buildings. Uh, and each one of them worships, uh, has their own culture almost. Um, so to say that there's one particular style and then, um, preaching, uh, you try preaching in a house church in somebody's front room. It doesn't work quite the same as it would. So a whole different approach takes place there. One thing I thought about was uh, growing up um, at the congregation I attended in Sutton, uh, we had an evening worship and that was quite uh, different because it was a Sunday evening. Uh, Sunday morning would be the Sunday school time, but then you'd come back again in the evening for worship. Now in the winter months, that would be a dark outside. That brings a whole new perspective to the worship service, but also it's the end of the weekend. It's the end of the day. It's the beginning of the new week. It's in a whole different place than you are if you were to worship Sunday morning. You're, you're mentally, psychologically in a different place. So planning the worship, um, you want to plan something that's a bit more reflective. You want to plan something that kind of, that wouldn't be 
Sunday mornings focused, and you wouldn't think about that necessarily, but um, Sunday evening worship for me was a much logical time for me to kind of put some time aside to be with God. I don't know if that's because that was what I was used to. So, you know, predominantly everywhere you go would be a Sunday morning service. Uh, you know, there's a whole different range of things that can happen when you meet in the evening. So it would, you could do things by candlelight. You could do things that were more, uh, reflective. Um, do things that were a little more creative than if you're just meeting on a Sunday morning. I, I never would have thought of that really. Do you have a favorite memory from an evening service? Favorite memory? Uh, no, nothing that kind of stands out, I'll be honest. Um, there, there was, and it was never the same. It depended who did the worship service. So there was one particular, I shan't name them, but one particular husband and wife that would plan a worship service. And I always made sure I went because every time they didn't do just the, you know, the, the sermon and the hymns and the prayers, uh, they would, because there's no pews in the building too, but that's predominantly a British thing. Uh, they would put worship centers around the sanctuary so that you were able to mix and, and go to different things and spend different time with, and engage with things. And that They put a lot of pre-planning and thought into that, that focused around the service, you know, the scripture. Um, so that, that would stand out and something that is more meaningful, maybe in an evening setting than it would be middle of the weekend. You've just woken up, you're thinking about your lunch to go and do that. And at this point, getting your kids ready. Getting the kids ready, yeah. It would be a whole different thing now if I was to try and do it, and you probably wouldn't be able to go. But some of the older people complained because they didn't want to go out when it was dark. So while I, I always appreciated that sort of time, it wasn't necessarily for everybody. So leaving Great Britain and having different assignments and yes. traveling, where would you like to go next? Well, the first place, let's go logically, the first place that I went was uh, India. And uh, India... Um, has a, a large population of the church uh, uh, is in India. And it was my first exposure to the church, but it was really my first exposure to Asia. And again, there was a culture shock took place there, and you're not quite sure what's happening, and uh, nothing fully gets explained, and uh, you, you're kind of just going by whatever the flow takes you. So you're, you're trying to ask questions about, so what time does the worship start? And they'll ask you questions, well, what time can you get there? You know, how long how long should it last for? Well, how long do you speak for? So it literally does. They don't have the, the uh, schedule of saying it starts at 10.30, it finishes at 11.30. When they see the six-foot-four white man walking through the village, they know church is about to start, and they, it goes until you've finished. And what does it look like? This first occasion, um, and this would be predominantly, maybe 90% of the congregations in, in India, uh, they're in very rural areas, um, very simple buildings there's kind of the mud buildings but they may be not mud, something more permanent than that with a you know a straw thatched roof to it openings for the windows openings for the doors and then just uh, a flat floor uh, then when the worship starts all the women sit one side and all the men sit the other side um, again shocking as you're sitting up there seeing that and thinking is that normal and it is to them. now all the women bring something to do so some uh, meal preparation, some clothing that they're repairing, and the men look after the children. So the first time at the worship service in Gumiguda, uh, I was speaking and this baby starts to make a fuss and the, the dad didn't even stand up. He just lifted the child, put the child out of the window and, and it puked up and <laughs> sat it back down again. Uh, as you were trying to preach, uh, you don't see that very often. Uh, also, that there'll, there'll, there'll be multiple speakers 
and and it'll be broadcast across the whole village. So big speakers outside talking, but multiple people preaching, um, and it would last for a long time. I mean, you, there's no bulletins as you could follow along, you know. It, so it really does. Uh, you're not quite sure what's happening, but I'm sure they are. Music's very different. In what way? So uh, I, all the years I travelled there, I never saw an organ or a piano once. I saw an electric keyboard. That would, if they had anything, it would be that. But not just the the instrument. They have a whole different tone that they sing. Uh, so it, 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 to our ears, it sounds off. Just like probably hearing us sing sounds off. And in, the first time you hear it, you think that's a bad singing congregation. Then you realize everybody that's the style of singing. It's a whole different approach to music, and it predominantly would be um, you know unaccompanied and. Uh, yeah, would would last for a long time again. It's not kind of a no standing up, singing, sitting down. They keep going and going and going. And who participates in leading worship in India? Uh, there would leading the worship. Um, there would be uh, an elder and a deacon for every congregation. So that they have the, obviously the pre- community of Christ priesthood structure, but um, th- th- there's only really deacons and elders. Um, that's where they are in terms of what their needs are and. Uh, so and it would be predominantly men. Now the first time I went, um, we were taking World Service Corps volunteers, and they were Australians. Um, two of them, no, all three of them were female, and um, they were to speak that Sunday because they were priesthood members. And the, the mission center president, uh, you know, they wanted to be culturally sensitive and saying, "Is this okay?" And he says, "Yes, I want you to be an example. That'll be huge for them to see you preaching on a Sunday." Now, when you preach, then I preached, and I remember I, I, I did my favorite uh, uh, scripture, the woman at the well, and you almost felt in that moment that you were sitting in that setting because it was biblical setting that you were in, you know, very rural, very dusty, remote, uh, simple. So the scriptures as you're preaching it all of a sudden have more relevance, I think, it to you like be speaking. It profound impact on you yeah I, th- I think so I, um, I, I, I'm not sure if I, you know my, my interpretation was correct of what I was you know imagining but um, it did bring a whole new context maybe to, to preaching and then the message that we were able to bring through the, the, the women that spoke and the woman at the well the message being one of uh, Jesus chooses her and she brings back the whole village and you're sitting literally in front of the whole village yeah. telling them and it was the women that did this, and it's the women that Jesus chose, and it's uh, 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 this is huge because you also take a step back and, and understand that everybody in that village are the untouchables in the caste system. They're not even registered uh, as existing by the government. They're in that situation because they're not provided roads, they're not provided schools, they're not provided for, they're not recognized as individuals. And here you are saying you are a person of worth. It, it, it was a you know a. Well, I'm glad we were able to do that, and uh, I'm glad I, I was able to do that too. So I, I don't know what impact that had after the volunteers left, but you, that's part of ministry. You, you don't stick around to see what impact you had. You don't always know. You don't know. So where else in Asia have you traveled, participated in worship? And the next sort of place uh, would be Korea. I was assigned to uh, South Korea for the longest period of time to get a building built there, a new congregation that solved the old one. And we're getting ready to build a new one. Um, that's that's interesting preaching there too, because this uh, just like India and most of Asia, this is a predominantly non-Christian. Now, Korea is a large Christian 
uh, entity there. But they, most of the people that attend uh, don't come back, come from the same uh, background of, of uh, Christianity, maybe, uh, of understanding. So uh, the first time I spoke there, I asked them, I said, well, you know about Noah's Ark? And uh, a few people were like, no, never heard of Noah's Ark. And I'm like, how have you never heard of Noah's Ark? Because these are first generation Christians. Um, well, I, this was my second time here. We did do Noah's Ark last week. So, um, yeah, how do you, how do you preach and bring a message that's, uh, that doesn't talk about things that they assume people know, but at the same time don't talk down to people? They don't want to be talked down to like a child. How do you teach an adult about Noah's Ark? Mm-hmm. It's difficult in a different language, simple English without feeling as though you've been talked down to. Um, how, uh, the community of Christ in Saul, um, would have a, one of its main appeals would be the fact that they're not a Korean spoken language only congregation and they're not an English only spoken congregation there. Uh, it's English and Korean. So the person that speaks would speak in English, but then would be translated. So you get to hear both and that has an appeal rather than it just being word Korean, Korean speaking or English speaking, do both. So people, people come for that too. But the downside of that is they have paid pastor. Which means he preaches every week. Oh, okay. That's unusual. It is unusual. Community of Christ. I, uh, the, one of the times I've preached, I like to ask questions. So, I was like, do you, do you know about Noah's Ark? Uh, after three or four times, the translator said, uh, of, of preaching there, she said, don't ask any questions. <laughs> you know, because they're embarrassed about the fact that, that um, uh, they may not know the right answer. So, no, don't have any community involvement, don't have any discussion. You are supposed to tell us. Don't ask us to tell you. Um, but that, where do they kind of build their, uh, public ministry if they're never participating? Where do you, where does, uh, a priesthood members come from if, if, uh, they're not speaking, praying? So that, uh, I haven't been since, uh, maybe four years and I know that, uh, that's always been a, a high priority. It may not be the case now. Um, because they have actually ordained some of the me- uh, members to priesthood offices, so I'm assuming they've kind of you know stepped up to the plate a bit. So is music different there in the worship service? Yeah, music plays a big part um, in Asian culture. Um, so when I've been there, they have this huge grand piano, uh, but you'll also find children because they're, they're, you know, they're very serious about if they if they learn an instrument, they don't do it for half an hour on a Wednesday; they do it every night. You know, and they, they, they're committed to it. So you'll get young kids being able to play the piano fantastically. Uh, violin. Uh, it's the only congregation I've been to that has a double bass. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so there's lots of different, uh, musical instruments, but there's no organ. Uh, I've never seen a guitar. They're much more kind of string instruments, which is kind of meets the kind of predominant instruments in the culture. And then, uh, Mrs. Kim plays, uh, the traditional Korean instrument that i can't think of what it is off the top of my head but you know that she plays that during the worship services too so it's, it's nice to hear that because she'll play not just traditional korean songs she'll play songs on this traditional korean instrument but they're the old old path you know the, the songs that you know that yeah. seems oh i know that one yeah traditional community of yeah. rice uh hymnody for those who aren't familiar with that well, they actually use a methodist hymnal um they're looking at Creating their own uh, community of Christ hymnal, but they've they, they've been using the Methodist hymnal, which you know you know a lot of the songs, but not all of them. 
A lot of them are new to us. Emma Smith had been raised Methodist, and she shared yes. some of that hymnody <laughs> with the church, didn't yeah, she? Yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> the other thing with career is uh, it's more than just the worship service. If, if you're committed to going to church, you, you, you don't commit just to the worship service. You commit to lunch and most of the afternoon. So they really do spend a lot of time together, and they all eat together. And, you know, this is not a... Uh, a, 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 a my, you know, a minor commitment. They make a huge commitment. They'll also go to school and work six days a week. So this is really their one day off. They're choosing to take a huge chunk of it to to be at church and spend it in community. In community, yeah. So how has your experience in Korea, do you think, affected your own understanding of your spiritual being or your discipleship? Well, it, it was um, eye-opening to me um, to understand that. Uh, we're not all kind of born with this understanding of Noah's Ark and Adam and Eve, and uh, but also, how, how do you explain something uh, that's that's uh, basic without talking down to somebody? What, what's the essence of the story? What's the? It's a book of theology. So what's what's it theologically teaching us? Not what's the history of it? So to to look at the uh, for me to be able to take something that I've just always known and never really thought about, and to say no, don't don't just Say it, don't just preach it, don't just recite it. Uh, ask yourself, what is it teaching us? Why was it put into the scriptures when others weren't? What is it, what is it saying? What is its analogy? What is its metaphor? What is its cultural importance? And, uh, may not have got that directly from Korea, but that kind of experience of sort of saying, uh, no, go back to some of the basics and find out, uh, because they're not really basics. They're not really a list of things just to teach children that, that they do have, grown-up message to to take on board. And they do. Yeah. So it's affected your ministry going forward, definitely. I think so. My ministry and my discipleship. Yeah, I mean, it's so easy to write off stories like that. And then when you then when you realize that uh, uh, the story of Noah's Ark and the story of David and Goliath, um, uh, you know, they're also play on Battle of Gilgamesh and Homer and the Iliad, and you realize this brilliance in the writing. Uh, the Prior to that, you're just written off. Okay. So we've been to India and Korea. Where else are we going, Richard? Uh, China. That may be the uh, uh, one that really stands out because uh, China uh, isn't what you imagine it to be. In what way? Well, it depends what you imagine it to be, I guess. But it isn't what it's necessarily typically described to be where people live in fear of being Christian. And uh, the Bible isn't available. Now, there's, uh, there's more Bibles bought, purchased, printed in, in China than any other country in the world. So you, they're, they're uh, free in some sense to worship. They're not afraid to do that. But, but there's tight boundaries on uh, There's a, the, the official government-controlled church. Uh, they're okay to worship in small groups if it's not part of that. But if it gets too big, they, they attract the attention of you know, government. And um, so I think it was something like 35 people. If it gets over 35 people... They want to know some, they start asking some questions. And I said, well, what happens if it gets beyond 35 people? I said, well, we'll just start two congregations. Well, why not? Yeah. Um, at, you go into the, the building there and it's, uh, it's on the fifth floor, the top floor of, uh, uh, apartment block. And it is an apartment, two bedrooms, kitchen, living room, open. Um, you go in there and you know it's a church. There's Bibles, there's him, there's a piano, there's pictures of Jesus. Um, the other interesting thing is they have Christmas decorations up all year round. Christmas decorations? Yeah, so you see like the, the, the tinsel hanging up. And I'm like, did so, I went there and it was like, I don't know, March. I'm like, did somebody forget to take these down? And they're puzzled. Like, no, this is celebrating Jesus all year round. 
do you not do that in America? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. But it's a wonderful image. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, they're tacky Christmas decorations <laughs> too. Uh, the interesting thing is, though, all of that is up front, open, I guess. Uh, people are free to come visit, but the baptism font is hidden under the kitchen counter. Now, I don't know if that's um, because it was the logical place to put it, but it, it really is hidden. It's not, you know, there's a countertop on top of it, and it, it's kind of blended in. Whether uh, baptizing people is an issue, and uh, they can't baptize anybody unless they're uh, an adult. So this, the age of eight being the age of baptism does not apply. Um, and then the, the person being baptized and the person doing the baptizing is... Uh, so if you baptize somebody, you're taking a huge commitment on because you're kind of sharing, you're accomplice to the crime, as it were. Um, so uh, it was interesting to see the... I saw some baptisms in the kitchen sink up there. Um, but the other thing is, that, you know, on the inside, you, you see predominantly Christian things, but there's no sign. There's no board that says, here's when we worship, here's who we are. There's no logo. You know, there's no church logo. Uh, there's no lion and the lamb and everywhere else that we kind of had an apartment. There's some obvious identity of when you can come and what time the worship starts. Um, there it's much more people know about the church because they've been invited. And when they come, it's obviously a church. There's no hidden part to it, but it's not, they're not publicly allowed to declare they're there. And I would say, um, out of all the places that I've traveled, that was the most community of Christ congregation I'd visited because it wasn't community of Christ because of its logo or it didn't find its identity in a advertising or in a set of statements it found its identity in, in identifying with its beliefs and uh, wanting to live out the enduring principles um, their worship services were vastly different than i've ever kind of known so describe what the worship was like well it, um it's a vastly different because i I, don't, I didn't know what was being said and um, it's in an apartment um they sit in rows there was men and women husbands and wives sitting together uh, much more informal um so I was asking questions saying, well, why would you join this church when uh, you could join the government church and, and be free to do whatever you want? Or you could, uh, there's also the Methodists, the Catholics, the Baptists, they're all there. In fact, there's a, there's a Chinese Pope, the, 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 the uh, Chinese government had appointed. So there's kind of like a shadow Catholic church over there. Why would you join this church uh, when, when you could be Baptist or something? What is it that appeals? And they say that um, for them it was their focus on one scripture per worship service. And I don't know where they got that from. It needs training, I think. Whereas everywhere else they'd ever been, it had been, well, here's what I want to say, and I'm just going to bombard you with scripture. And the community of Christ was one that says, don't do that. Take one scripture and, and, and teach, focus on it. What is it saying? Uh, what is it saying in its largest context? What is it saying to you in your personal experience? But it's focused on one scripture rather than multiple scriptures. Let me impress you with my knowledge of the Bible. Also, they were, they liked the um, uh, peace and community. I mean, it just kind of it it it, it uh, speaks to them in their culture. This communal communal community peace uh, emphasis uh, really speaks to them. Who participates in leading worship in China? Uh, so we have Chinese this. 
two parts to the Chinese church. There's the, there's the urban congregation in Chengdu, uh, you know, a city of 20 million people that I never heard of until I went there. Uh, it's huge. It's bigger than New York. Uh, and then you have the rural areas. And the rural areas um, uh, is where the, the population of the church predominantly is. Um, it's unsafe for the local church members, for Western church leaders to go there because you kind of raise the red, you know, you red, stand out. Yeah. I mean, you stand out in the city. Don't go, don't go in, you know, large groups of, 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 of Westerners. You know, it just, it just, if anybody wants, is looking for a reason to uh, question them, you've kind of given it away. Although, I, like I say, that the, they're open about being there. Um, so it's not safe to go travel for the local folk. Not, it'd be perfectly safe for me. It's just afterwards, then what are they subject to? Mm-hmm. What questioning, what suspicion? Um, in those areas, uh, uh, again, it's men and women. Some of the uh, women are the kind of real inspirational leaders of the villages. The men get roped into the political, you know, the, the political leadership. Uh, and there's a fine line between who leads the village and who leads the church, who, who's a member of the Communist Party and, we, you know, who has connections that, that can allow the people to worship freely because they know somebody that's not, you know... Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's all out in the rural areas. And, and, and in those areas, there's not just one culture. There's multiple tribes and multiple languages and multiple different ways of life that are just kind of hidden away in that uh, remote part of China. Um, I don't know how they worship, but it, um, from what described to me, uh, it sounded very similar to India in the rural, uh, simple, uh, long worship services, uneducated people, though, preaching for a long time, uh, but they just truly live it out. But it was the Chengdu congregation that kind of, they come into the city from the rural areas to do the Meads training, to do the, uh, to, to come and visit, to do anything. So the Meads training that yes. you've referred to, Meads is the uh, advanced leadership training that Community of Christ has offered in many nations around the world. Yes. So it's scripture, theology, Community of Christ practice. Okay. I, I was... The, First time I was there was to teach uh, identity, message, and mission. Um, took the slides that we, you know, we've, we've, we've taught here and focused a lot on, well, here's the church's temple and here's the church's logo and what is, you know, what is it saying with the lion and the lamb and here's the church's name and the man translating was sort of saying, can we, can we move on past this to the substance? <laughs> Thinking that, that that didn't matter to them because, well, this is your, News. <laughs> this is not our news. When are we going to get onto something interesting? Um, or, or when they talk about baptism, because in part of that course, would, the teaching uh, session would be about sacraments. Um, I asked them to reenact the baptism, uh, all the sacraments, so that they would show people that weren't. It's interesting when they did baptism. Um, I would have thought it was two people baptizing. They wanted multiple people because they never do a baptism of one person. <laughs> There's always a queue. There's always a line of people because they all get baptized as a community, as a, a gathering. And uh, to my my perception was, we just need to find two people: one person to be baptized, one person to do it. And they're like, "Well, no, we need." It always, it's always a gra- it's always a gathering, so we need several people. Community baptism. Yeah, no, 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 kind of on mass. It's just like, <laughs> they were like, well, "You do it by one? Why? No, no." So when they baptized, it's a commu- a whole big community event, and it, it just wasn't in there didn't even register in their uh, mindset that it would be a personal 
experience almost. So that's uh, baptism. As you've traveled and experienced worship in other places, have sacraments looked different in different places? In some, in some ways, um, th- th- there's the the particulars and the universal. You know, the, mm-hmm. what, what what is it? At what point does it still remain community of Christ and remain the sacrament? And um, I, I've seen it different all all over the place. Uh, in the British Isles, somebody you have to use a certain cloth, and the cross has to be on the front, and it has to be this way round, and the, somebody has to break the bread, and it has to be in diagonal shapes. So there's there's a multiple ways that things are done. Uh, I would say in a lot of Asia, uh, some of those airs and graces, some of those uh, what we assume as tradition, they just don't have the resources to do that. So baptizing people would be in large groups, but also uh, they wouldn't have plastic cups for the communion and they wouldn't be overly concerned with how neatly cut into squares the bread was and whether it was bread and whether it was grape juice. and um, So I, th- th- those sorts of things um, look different. Um, ordinations and, and, and confirmations and, and even, uh, well, there was the exorcism you were asked to perform in, really? uh, in, uh, well, that's what it was translated as. This person has an evil spirit. Could you pray? And my uh, trying to be, uh, true to myself, not getting wrapped up in it and saying, yes, I can perform exorcisms. <laughs> I was like, well, we, I was trying to explain to this person, um, that we don't do exorcisms and we don't, believe that and it's not a practice of ours and what's happening here is you probably got a headache you know and the minister finally said to me just pray for the woman i don't stop explaining it she's trying to understand she's just asking you to pray for her so in that moment i was able to separate my uh what i was willing to accept and theologically handle and sort of say just praying for her and pray for her. um realizing she may not have also been asking for an exorcism either her understanding was she wanted prayer that's really what she was asking for um trying to think of some other um differences in the the sacraments but that some places in asia it's not an official sacrament but they do washing of the feet which was a sacrament yeah. in the community of christ many many years ago uh, there was one place in india that that came up and again i was torn between do i explain to them that that's not a sacrament or do you let that go <laughs> you know at what point do you stop being a manager and a minister, and uh, I let it go um, and explained to the local leader that wasn't a sacrament technically. But also Andrew Bolton introduced a, a sixth mission initiative, so who knows over there <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what the message is. But uh, the washing of the feet was big because, uh, again, they don't have shoes and socks and laced up. It's barefoot on dusty roads that... To wash somebody's feet had a different meaning than whenever I've done washing feet at camps and people have helped their noses, you know, and mm-hmm. not really been comfortable with it. Uh, so it, was it a sacrament? Well, we say potluck is a sacrament of the church, so why can't they have, you know, washing we do of the often feet? say that, don't we? So yes. it's at least uh, eight sacraments, let's put it that way. So you talked earlier about in India that the women and men yeah. sat separately yeah. and had different roles. And then in um, China, husbands and wives sat next yeah, to so each other. And I'll tell you a story about that. There was a the, the pastor and his wife came for years, and it turned out they'd been divorced for years. But they the shame of that they had to come to church together and pretend that they weren't divorced because they didn't want to lose face, which is huge in Asian culture. So they've been divorced, and 
they told us, but they hadn't told the congregation. And I'm sure the congregation knew, but it was just to, to, to not embarrass one another. Mm-hmm. They put on the pretense of being together. So, and they sat together. I'm, I'm sure they wished that they were separate at that point. In other places where you've been, have you seen um, how gender plays a part in how worship unfolds? Um, the Philippines, another Asia experience, um, they, they're, they're very, in certain respects, to me it's halfway between India and, and the U.S., worship church-wise. Um, women are, ex, uh, are priesthood members and do a lot of the leading in, 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 uh, in the church, but they don't have any... Uh, they were uncomfortable with any formal leadership title. Uh, and in many ways, I think that was uh, maybe how uh, it might have been here. Uh, that, you, know, the, you can never deny the role that women have played in the church before priesthood. Uh, they're just uh, uncomfortable with accepting a uh, uh, leadership role over a, over a man. And that was uh, Jennifer was the mission center president in all but name because she didn't want to take the name. But she was by far the strongest leader. Everybody looked up to her. She just was uncomfortable taking the title. But you could not deny the fact that she was in charge. You could not deny the fact that she was, uh, you know, leading the church over there. She, she, she was known for a long time as the, um, uh, assistant associate mission center president. And she, she was headstrong and, and, uh, um, and, and uh, but she, uh, was trying to be respectful. To the culture, to the, she was ready to accept that. She wanted to tell that she was doing that, but she also recognized the people that she was ministering. It might be difficult for them. She put that aside, said, I, I just, I'm okay with doing the job. I'm being called something different. So gender does play a role. What about kids? Other than the one that the father <laughs> held out the window, how have you seen kids participate in worship? In places that you've served, oh, everywhere you go, there's, there's kids, and uh, they bring life to the congregation. Particularly, uh, so in, in Korea, they would play the musical instruments. Um, they they would uh, they would be the only ones that were not uh, too ashamed, too shy to answer a question if you asked. Like they cut through some of the cultural barriers much easier. I think that happens in a lot of cultures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but they, they they often do get kind of relegated down to offering collectors, but. Uh, the, 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 there's a big emphasis on the youth and children's ministries in, in the Philippines. But if you went to India, um, their idea of a, a youth retreat is a weekend of being preached at. There's no games, campfires, uh, crafts and activities that come in, they get preached at. And for some reason they come, you know, and they it, still come. in hordes of people. But that, that's, you know, that, that's their idea of it. It's the young people being preached at. So looking back at yep. all your different experiences growing up and uh, serving, where do you feel right now most comfortable in worship? Where's, what kind of worship experience is, uh, is one that really resonates with you? Uh, my my uh, personal spiritual spirituality is much more uh, uh, in isolation. I, 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 I like being alone and listening to music and studying. And, and, and praying, I, I sometimes I think uh, sometimes I think our congregations are too big for me, you know, too large in number. Uh, you know, there's too many people, <laughs> too many people you have to see and talk to and stuff. So uh, I I feel, and I think this is why I've been able to go a lot of places and not necessarily uh, be um, uncomfortable with it being different because I'm fed spiritually through uh, what happens outside of the corporate Sunday service but if if i was to uh 
pin something down. I, I love preaching sermons. And I, I actually think there's a parallel between people that are, that are mystics and people that are head-orientated uh, spiritual people. Because what is it when you're alone in isolation or you're alone in nature? You're thinking. You, 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 you know, it's the thoughts. So what happens in a sermon that's kind of uh, that's educational and brings uh, new insights, uh, it's challenging you to think just the same as it is in, in, in uh, solitude too. So... That's my take, and other people would say, oh, I hate, you know, I like being in solitude, but I hate sermons, and some people like sermons and don't like being in solitude. Uh, and so I really do enjoy um, a number of things, and I'm not like, I, I very rarely come away from church feeling as though, well, that was a waste of time. And uh, I, I understand that people do. My mom used to come home, and she's like, I don't know why I go, nobody talks to me. And I said, well, how many people did you talk to? And she said, oh, I don't talk to anybody. <laughs> like, well, maybe that's the reason, you know. Uh, she was looking for something in particular, and uh, for for a while there, she was not being fed. Realized uh, that it wasn't because there was something wrong; that uh, she needed something different for a while. And, and that's a great thing about the community of Christ is, and that's one thing about all of these places you go. They're not they're not singing from the same hymnal, from the same hymn sheet. Literally, uh, they're able to express the enduring principles of the church as they see fit as the, as it speaks to them um and, and that's really big in, in in asia because they're not just a different culture there's a different uh there's a different point of view there's a different mindset so it's not the difference between britain and, and america being culturally different and having different uh traditions they view things very very differently very differently to they don't understand us and we don't understand them so in a for them to be able to take principle and apply it in, 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 in a Chinese culture. And, and it's still, uh, it's still Christian. It's still community of Christ rather than saying, here's how you believe. Here's what, here's the chart. Here's the books. Here's the bullet points. Go away and do these things. Uh, they're, uh, they're able to express that. And it also happens in the British Isles. They have a Congolese congregation in London and a traditional English service in the morning, same building. And one of the things that first appealed to them about coming to Community of Christ was, you mean we're allowed to do it this way? Because everywhere else we've gone, they say that, and then a couple of weeks in, they say, well, can you turn it down? And can you use this? And can you not say that? Uh, and even down to um, them helping them uh, come up with a, system, a business meeting. The business meeting appealed to them because it was the first time they'd ever said, you mean you as a church openly ask the congregation to support something? Um, you don't have control. You, you put the control, but you encourage the congregation to have a say in this. And you let us worship this way. Well, you know, why have I never heard of this group before? And that was a, that would, you never would have thought of those sorts of things that we take for granted as something that they really appeal to them. Uh, and, and I think that the British Isles, uh, church has been blessed by their, uh, their presence in things. It's not, there is a there is a, an unfortunate us and them mentality, but uh, that's going to take time. But that, that uh, each group has been able to to to, to uh, work well together so far. I'm hopeful that we can do that. They can do that in other places because it's a richly diverse a diverse country. Uh, why does the church not reflect that too? So. So here in Middle America, yeah. where you live now, you have a young son yeah. and a fairly new daughter. What do you hope they experience in worship as they grow up attending Community of Christ? Um, 
I spoke at both of their uh, baby blessings. I didn't do the baby blessing. I, I spoke at the sermon. I uh, gave the message. And uh, so I, I thought about that as a, a the sense of responsibility that's on your shoulders. How's this child going to know about Jesus? Mm-hmm. And and how that's a daunting task. And how do you explain? And my, my son has some questions sometimes. So it's like, so where's Jesus now? In heaven? Is, I thought he was dead. I'm like, but he's alive. Where is he? I've never seen him at church on Sunday. Why do I have to go? Jesus doesn't go. Um, how, how do you explain uh, things to, to a child and, and but then re-explain them in teenage years and say, look, Noah's Ark might not really have happened. You know, uh, well, did you lie to me? So I, I go to church, not I take them to church and, and, and want them to participate, not just um, so that they can worship. It's the way in which they, I want them to interact with other people in the congregations and learn who Jesus is through them, not just me. I'm not passing the book. I, I, I really want them to learn, because that's how I learned who Jesus was, not through just the sermons, not through the worship alone. It was through the way in which we interacted with each other all the time, was dealt with problems. Uh, I don't know where else you go in society, just to, outside of the family, to uh, engage with multiple generations. Uh, society doesn't have any vehicle for that anymore. You know, you might shop together and eat together in restaurants, but you don't ever connect. You just so happen to be in the same place at the same time. So I really want them to come to know Jesus, uh, whether it's through uh, camps, worship services, on their own, through listening to music, driving in the car, watching YouTube videos, whatever it is that <laughs> sermons that way. Uh, I, I'm more interested in uh, giving them a, a space to find Jesus rather than... Um, What's your worship style? How do you like worship? I don't know, but maybe worship will look a lot different when they're, who knows? It may very well. So maybe, maybe I, I want to be open to that and whatever it is, I want them to come to know and to have a relationship with God and Jesus that I've had. Not the same, whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, but for them to have their own kind of experience in that. And to have that in community. Yes. And that wonderful enduring principle about blessings, and I would add sometimes the challenges of community. (laughs) Yes, it's it's, it's a blessing and a challenge at the same time. Um, But that's uh, whatever. I have no expectations for them, uh, except uh, to a certain point, I I give them opportunity to engage if they choose not to. Uh, That's their choice. uh, My my dad is not a church member, and he's been very supportive. At times he's understood what I, what I wanted to do better than my mother, who is a church member, uh, she worries about things, uh, whereas he, he, he kind of gets it. And I, I sometimes wonder why is it somebody that's so opposed to the beliefs of the church, to Joseph Smith and to uh, what he thinks, uh, the church is, was so, uh, for, for our entire life was so, um, open to letting, letting our mother take us every Sunday. Yet he disagreed with it. Disagreed with the church. I, I would not be happy with my wife taking the kids to the uh, Southern Baptist congregation. I mean, I, I'd say enough's enough. But, uh, and it wasn't because he didn't care. He was just very kind of open to, you, you ought to figure this out for yourself. You'll stop going when you want to stop going. And you didn't stop. I did. And then it just chose to go with ah. uh, My dad played golf on Sunday, so I would go caddy for him because he, he also paid me. We had a Diet Coke when it was finished. Um, life, job, I mean, you know, school uh, took over. But it was more a case of not a conscious leaving. It was more of life took over. And I, it became less important. And then 
uh, about 19, it became more important again and made conscious efforts to engage with it. Well, I want to thank you, Richard, for sharing with us not just your experiences in serving in full-time ministry with Community of Christ, but your personal observations and experiences and your wonderful sense of wit. (laughs) So we're going to close with a brief uh, reading about worship. And this one comes from Dwayne Cooey, who is a name familiar to Community of Christ folks from our shared history. And Brother Cooey wrote, Worship is the most fundamental and all-inclusive activity in which a church engages. The goal is that by the grace of God, the worshiper experiences the Holy Spirit and, by the grace of God, goes forth in service to meet human need and to change the world. It's quite so, inspired. Uh, Dwayne Cooley's granddaughter found her husband, Robbie, at the Korea congregation when he was serving there in the military. She now lives here in the U.S., but uh, so there's a connection between Dwayne Cooley and the Korea What a great connection to have to close our podcast episode. So thank you again for visiting with us. And I'm Karen Peter. This is Common Grounds, part of the Project Zion podcast. And we will continue through ordinary time exploring worship in community of Christ. Thanks for listening to Project Zion podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use, and while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines.